0: Someone who wants to know how to have a better show, how to make a show, someone who wants to learn how to put uh, equipment together or what kind of microphones are good, what works, what doesn't work, how do you mic like a large room if you're going to interview a politician, how do you get a quiet corner and make that interview go well? Technical things like that. So it's not just technology that we're covering this year, it's also technique.
1: Welcome to Radio Survivor, the Sound of Strong Communities. I'm Paul Reismandel.
2: Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Klein.
1: And joining us from San Francisco via Skype is...
2: Jennifer Waits.
1: So glad you could be here with us on another edition of Radio Survivor. This time around, we're going to talk about the Grassroots Radio Conference. It's that time of year again. It's that time of year. So much goes on in the fall. It's like we have... It feels like a sleepy summer, although I think we had a lot going on, but then things really ramp up when you hit falls so there's so much uh to talk about and to cover and the grassroots radio conference has been going on now mostly annually uh going on almost about eighteen years and it 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 is what it sounds like so what an it's,
2: incredible yeah couple of decades what what a for, legacy
1: right for community radio. And what it is, it's like what it sounds like. It's, it's community radio stations. So stations that are, you know, uh, it tends not to, it's really not public radio stations. It's stations that are are run by volunteers, primarily getting together to throw their own conference. It's, it's, it's really mutual aid and action. And it's become all the more relevant in the last four years because we've had an explosion in community radio in the United States. Uh, Beginning in 2013, uh, the FCC started to issue construction permits and licenses for a kind of radio called low-power FM. And these are community radio stations. They are non-commercial by design. They're required to be non-commercial. And they're also – they can't be owned by big conglomerates or big monoliths. They can be only owned by nonprofit organizations, and they could be a local community group, it could be a church, it could be a school, it could be a college, um, and they may only own one. And so the idea is that these stations are ultra-local as implied in the title, they're low power, which means they broadcast with a maximum of a hundred watts of power. And in sort of real world terms, that means that, you know, it might cover a small town Um, in a larger city. It might cover several neighborhoods. You you know, you can get a good uh, five to 10 mile radius from, you know, from away from where the transmitter is, you get pretty good coverage. But of course, these days, most of the stations also, you know, are broadcast online where of course they can be heard anywhere in the world. And Tons and tons of these stations have been going on the air now over the last four years. But by their very design, it's small groups of volunteers who are putting them on the air. Many people who really don't have radio experience have gotten these licenses. And so there's this real need for folks to kind of train up and to get good and to understand what they need to do to either put these stations on the air or, or all the skills involved in running a radio station. And the Grassroots Radio Conference is a place for people to come together and skill
2: share, really. Yeah, it sounds like that we have we have a conference that existed prior to the flowering of low power fm but it's funny when you put that 18 year timeline on it it occurs to me that uh the beginnings of the low power FM movement and the beginnings of the grassroots radio conference seems to have coincided in history. And I, uh, I'm going to assume that's no accident.
1: Yeah, there is no accident. And now, Jennifer, you were able to attend last year's grassroots radio conference in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Um, and, and as you observed, it's, it's not just low power FM, is it?
3: Right. Yeah, there were there were definitely people there from well established long time community radio stations that um, that are operating you know with much more powerful signals and then there were brand new low power fm stations and there were also some college radio stations in attendance so it was it was more than low power fm last year but low power fm was definitely the focus and brand new stations was definitely the focus at that conference Uh, So it was great, especially to have some established stations there because they could provide this sense of perspective and, you know, years and years of experience. They could lend that expertise and share that knowledge with some of the newer stations. So it was actually a great, a lot of great conversations between all these different constituents.
1: And we talk about, you know, these full power stations that have been around a long time. By a long time, we often mean decades. We mean 50 years in many cases, and that's a lot of accrued, Experience, because I think part of it is we hope that people don't have to, as we say often, reinvent the wheel. Don't have to sort of repeat the same mistakes over and over again that we can learn uh, from veteran community broadcasters or first community broadcasters at veteran stations, and and come together. and And I hope that there's an opportunity too. And I don't know if you saw this, Jennifer, where where maybe some of the folks who are at stations that have been around, you know, a quarter century get. Inspired or reinspired by meeting folks who were excited to put their new low power stations on the air,
3: yeah, well, I mean certainly I can count myself in that category and you know i'm I'm a volunteer at a college radio station that's been around for nearly sixty years, although I haven't been there that long um and I've been doing college radio since the eighties, and I certainly have been feeling inspired by these brand new stations and the energy that people have. And, and also just, just to be able to be witness to this period in our history where we're seeing so many brand new radio stations at the same time. I, I think it, it would be impossible to not be inspired by that.
1: We're joined on the line by Caitlin Redding, who is a low-power FM startup specialist and she is helping to organize this year's grassroots radio conference which is being hosted by a low power fm station wcaa in albany new york thanks for joining us here on radio survivor caitlin
0: well thank you so much for having me and letting me tell people about this incredible experience that they can be part of
1: so, I mean, let's just dive in here. So what, what can you tell us about what the Grassroots Radio Conference is going to look like this year in 2017?
0: Well, the Grassroots Radio Coalition Conference is different every time it is put on. One thing, though, that I have noticed these people seem to have a knack for is figuring out the issues that come up, that rise a little bit above some of the others that are, are pretty much systemic and perennial. And that's exactly what we've done this year. We have figured out what has kind of stuck its head up a little higher than the normal types of problems, and we have looked to address those issues by having sessions during this conference that specifically uh, meet those needs. So, each GRC has a unique ability somehow to meet the unique needs of what's happening that year for most LPSM stations along with handling all of the normal perennial issues.
1: So so what's, what, what is hot this year? What what do the needs look like?
0: Uh, well, I can tell you that Rivendell open source software training and understanding is uh, as big as ever. We're going to try to focus on that. We have at least four experts coming to assist holding sessions, and everyone has offered to stay and do an even more advanced training session Monday. And if you're still there after lunch and the meeting, then they will work more hand one-on-one with people uh, Monday afternoon. So, so, Rivendell, to help you so this get is your automation.
1: This is all about Rivendell, right? So so you, you'll need to Rivendell, probably tell us what that is.
0: Sure. Rivendell is an open source um, radio station software package that runs with the Linux system. And it is one of the most advanced and just amazing software um, systems for people in this predicament. We don't have a lot of money. We don't have experts. We need to learn everything ourselves. We need to be able to do everything ourselves. We also need to be able to live our own lives. Now, there's a big learning curve with Rivendell software. However, once you get past that, it really simplifies running a station because you can also access it from wherever you are. So if you can't be at the station where the transmitter and computers are, you can do this from home. You can do this from a remote location. You can have people... Adding their programs as needed from wherever they are. So even though it has a steep learning curve, the payoff in the end is tremendous. So is one of the most effective open source free radio systems out there for startup stations.
1: So, so you, what what this is is automation. Then is that what I what I understand? So this is this will yes, run your air signal it's for you. It's a radio you.
0: operating system. It'll run the entire station for you. Yep, you just program what you need it to do, put stuff in, and it is off and running.
1: And probably hearing about this, for some people, they probably actually wonder, well, why does a low-power FM community radio station need something like an automation system?
0: Sure. Rivendell is a system where you program it to do all the operations that you would have. So, for instance, if you have a 24-hour a day schedule, seven days a week, you have the ability to program Rivendell to do all the operations. So So, instead of having a volunteer twenty four hours a day, who's going to watch and make sure the, the right programs get loaded, that your station IDs, your weather updates, all the little things that go into an hour, your underwriting support, all of that. That you can put all of that in ahead of time. And and then you can put updates in. And the system will run the program and then will replace what you've run with the updates. So this means that you don't have to have all these people all the time running and and manually doing everything. You can do this ahead of time. You can ask the program to do some of these things automatically. It frees you up to actually work on content, and it requires that you need less people actually trying to run the station. There are so many elements to running a station that if you can get the automation program to play what you want when you need it to play it, including shows you might bring in from Audioport or other things, Democracy Now!, um, C-SPAN, whatever you might need to bring in. You can tell the, the system what you want to do and when you want to do it, and it will do it for you. And then you can create content and deal with fundraising and the other things that a station would need to do. And so
1: beyond automation, what are some of the other big issues that are going to be covered at this year's Grassroots Radio Conference?
0: Fundraising is huge. How do you attract people in the community to support what you're doing? Underwriting. Uh, fundraisers. How do you do remote broadcasts? How do you do live concerts if you're going to have a benefit concert? How are you going to stream this? How do you put this out as a podcast, for instance? That's a whole different legal issue doing um, streaming and internet uh, providing versus doing it over a frequency. Very very different regulations apply there. Uh, These are very time-consuming things. So As as much of the work you can have kind of taken over by um, system automation, that's helpful. Security has... This is a new issue that we've discovered the last about 18 months. We've been seeing more stations having security issues. We've had stations that have had their uh, windows broken and their stations vandalized, things stolen, or just broken and left. Um, Sometimes you have problems with volunteers uh, you don't necessarily know where your volunteers are coming from or what their background in. is. As, as good a job as you might do of, of vetting them or providing a system of checks and balances, things still go wrong. Um, and so security and how to deal with uh, people who are maybe moving out of your station as opposed to into it, that's become a very big issue. I've, I've had to help at least two stations individually deal with volunteers that uh, just seemed to develop some issues and some problems and then became a threat to other people at the station. And, you know, these things happen when you work with volunteers.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's something which I think many of us have experienced in our, in our time in radio,
0: Mm -hmm. though it's easy
1: to forget. And I hadn't really thought about it as security. And it's interesting to hear that there's maybe been vandalism or other sorts of of physical kind Mm -hmm. of threats at these stations. And, and, I mean, one aspect of Grassroots Radio Conference, you know, I've been to a few of them and I've been following it certainly uh, for its existence uh, going on to, uh, about 20 years now, um, is that it's, it's it is truly grassroots. That grassroots part's really important because yeah. uh, it, it is really radio folks training other radio folks, right? This isn't, this isn't like going to school right? This isn't like, like, like paying for some sort no. of like seminar at at the community college or something. I mean, this is really folks helping other folks, right?
0: It is. You're absolutely right. I couldn't have said it better. And so it's a tight, loose group of, of radio heads, basically. I, I'm quoting Lusa. It's, it's a tight, loose group of radio heads.
3: I have a question too. This is Jennifer Waits. Um, I attended. Last year's grassroots radio conference in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and LPFM mm-hmm. was a huge focus of that conference. And it sounds like that will be the case again this year. But there were also stations there who were longtime community radio stations, as well as a few college radio stations. So I was curious, mm-hmm. um, you may not know who all is coming yet, but I'm curious about the makeup of the attendees and who you think Uh, would enjoy coming to the
0: next conference? Okay, that's a two-part question. Uh, The first part, I am just overwhelmed and very happy to see that we have had a lot of Inquiries from our neighbors to the north. So I'm anticipating we are going to see more people coming from Canada this year than we've probably seen in previous years. So that's very exciting to start interacting with another country. I mean, we don't really think of Canada as actually being another country, but they are, and they do things differently there. And they have community radio stations and a grassroots system just like we do. So if you think of community radio stations as being, like, you know, most community stations have about a 10-mile radius. So if you think of linking all the community stations and crossing the borders, we get smaller and smaller all the time, although we're getting larger and larger. So I'm I'm just thrilled to see how many participants we're going to be having come from other countries, and, and Canada specifically this year. So that's one part. Who would benefit from this con- conference? Anyone... Who wants to be in radio and needs to learn something? Do you need to learn how to speak into a microphone properly? Do You need to learn how to put a show concept together from your idea to actually making the content to editing it. Anyone who would like to learn these things, because you're right, this is not a school, and you're not going to go to school for these things. I've been working with people who have degrees in broadcasting the last 12 months, and I am confounded at how little they actually know about what it takes to edit and put together a one-hour radio program. Mm, I I am just astounded. I'm like, what? And and I'm not going to hurt anybody's feelings by asking outright, what is your degree in? But I have been astounded at how much information I have had to share in order for them to understand how radio works, how it really works. When you walk in the door, what has to be done? Mm. Well, these are folks who may not have had the opportunity
1: to actually be at a station. Perhaps they didn't get their degree somewhere where there's a college station where they actually had to put things on the air rather than just sort of hand in a, a file at the end of the semester.
0: Oh, it really makes you wonder. It really, really truly makes you wonder. So, anyone who wants to know how to have a better show, how to make a show, someone who wants to learn how to put uh, equipment together or what kind of microphones are good, what works, what doesn't work, how do you mic uh, a large room if you're going to interview uh, a politician? How do you get a quiet corner and make that interview go well? How do you listen to a speech? We've got, like in Virginia, for example, They have elections coming up in November. So a lot of the focus in Virginia has been training volunteers in how to use hand-operated recording devices, where to be in the room, how to get your best angle, and and just technical things like that. So it's not just technology that we're covering this year. It's also technique.
1: Hmm. Very cool. and. We are talking with Caitlin Redding. She is a LPFM radio station startup specialist, and she is helping to organize this year's grassroots radio conference. It's happening at host station WCAA LP in Albany, New York. Uh, Caitlin, can you remind me what are the dates for this year's conference?
0: Sure. October 6th through October 9th. It is Columbus Day weekend, so all government offices will be closed on that Monday. Uh, so most people have a vacation day.
1: Very good, and and this, and this conference yeah. and, and the conference is is open to whomever wants to come.
0: Oh, absolutely, it's open to the public. We would prefer as many people as possible register ahead of time. Plus, you get a discount if you register ahead of time, but you don't have to, and you don't have to be there for every day. You can come for what you want to, um, come for. And we will work with you in terms of giving you daily rates and things of that sort. Al Davis and I are working diligently at getting these sessions confirmed and we will be putting out a schedule quite soon. Actually, we had a, a in-person meeting all of us together in Albany, Let's see, uh, Wednesday night. And, um, We're very close to actually having the finalized schedule ready to to put on the site, the GRC 2017 site. And what's the
3: best uh, URL for that if people want to go learn more about the conference? Uh,
0: Either or. GRC 2017 will get you there, or uh, WCAA, will uh, Grant Street Community Arts, either of those will get you to the exact same information.
2: And Caitlin, there's no substitute, of course, for the face-to-face, uh, for the human interaction and getting to meet people when you're when you're hosting such a conference. But I'm wondering if uh, there's probably going to be listeners to our program that aren't going to be able to make it. In sure. what ways can they interact with the with the work that's going on at this year's grassroots radio conference?
0: Well, we are putting together a program and specific conference materials for people who attend, and one of those costs materials is going to be a USB stick that we load with all of the presentation materials that we can get from all of our presenters. Uh, One of the focuses this year is the history of LTFM and uniting everybody in not only a common experience, but... But the commonality of the people who have come before. Christopher Maxwell will be speaking on the history of the LPFM Act. We're hoping to have Pete Treatish from Prometheus may also speak. Uh, We have Jim Ellinger is going to be doing some presenting, but he'll also be available for some roundtables we're having. He's from Austin Airways, and they're also a grassroots uh, organization that puts LPFM on the air. They generally go out of the country. They go to Ghana. They go to the Dominican Republic. He is there, and you can come and interview him and speak to him and get some ideas from him, attend his sessions.
2: Jim Ellinger was Go, uh, a was a uh, guest on Radio Survivor uh sometime last year. We'll have a link to the show notes for that oh, that's episode. Wonderful. And Petri Dish, of course, was also a guest of Radio Survivor. Of he course. was on uh to talk about the radio station that he built here in Oregon, Pacoon, which I I could talk that's about for an hour just just right now. But check out the show notes for this episode.
1: At Radiosurvivor.com slash podcast.
0: I'm, I'm hoping that we will be able to make these um, conference attendee packages available after the conference to other people. So I have put in the request that we make extras. We are also uh, developing the the habit of recording these programs. now we we started in Palinville, and some of that video is a little r- rough. I, I helped get. The Hot Springs people started but was not able to attend last year. I met with them about two months before the conference started and was there with Donna DiBianco to give them the prep materials and give them kind of a primer in person. And I'm not sure what they did in terms of videoing, but we are set up, this is a, an arts community, We're used to doing things, uh, videography, that kind of production. So we will be trying to even hone our skills more with videoing the, uh, the sessions and then WCAA will be able to make a decision on how they want to make that available. Of course, this is a grassroots coalition, so we're going to do our best to make this available to as many as possible so people cannot attend. But you can always contact anyone on the program you can contact wcaa and say i have a problem can you refer me to somebody because as you mentioned earlier these are folks just like you guys just like you and i are talking everyone is eminently approachable if you need a solution you are welcome to contact anybody in this coalition become part of the coalition. just become Part of the community of extended communities because we're here to help each other. So don't feel isolated. Don't feel that you don't qualify. Just call. Just reach out. Contact anyone if you need help. Just we're here. Reach us. Reach out to us. So,
1: Caitlin, one thing I wanted to ask you about is that you are the station started specialist. So I wanted to ask, what mm-hmm. does that entail? What What is it you're doing?
0: oh my goodness it's a it's a lot of hats. I wear a lot of hats um, I am primarily an administrative and legal expert. Uh, I do some of the technology, not as much. I do a lot of programming i can people to do programs. I can teach workshops. I can help you get your forms filed. So when I come into a situation, I just look at what organization is in place and see what they need to have added. Do they need an underwriting? Package written, do they need underwriting training? Do they need to train producers? Do they need to understand how to do community outreach to other nonprofits in the areas? How do you reach out to local schools? How do you reach out to local politicians? Um, how do you pay your rent? Uh, what you know do you use QuickBooks? Do you something do something else? How do you have to do your accounting? What forms do you have to have done every year? What's the difference between being a non-stock or a non-profit five hundred one c three? So you're a consultant kind of a question, essentially. Of, uh, about uh, pretty much everything. I uh, pretty much cover everything except what you what. Um, I, I can't replay. I can't repair the equipment. So so in effect... It <laughs> when- but they're teaching me how to do that too. <laughs>
1: So, so in effect, what you do is if there's a station that's getting ready to go on the air or has just gone on the air, you, you come down, you visit with them personally. Or is applying. On site or is applying. Well, at this point, they can't apply for stations.
0: Uh, but, right. But I mean, if they're, if they're not even, yeah, if they don't even have the station built, I would come in and help them build the station.
1: You, so you come on and you come on site and help them get done because you've done this before and, you, and you're doing more. So you keep yes, getting better and better at it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I, I was uh, trained by Donna DiBianco. Uh, there's only, from what she's told me, there's only maybe three or four of us who are actually uh, billed as LPFM startup specialists that do this. Now there are a lot of other people who have uh, like uh, technical knowledge, like a lot of engineers. Al Davis is one. Fred Morton is one. There are a lot of engineers that are available to help. Stations get started and with their, their technical aspects, but they're not so good with the administrative and legal aspects. So you need both. You need people who can help you get your equipment running. And you need someone who can help you get the station running
1: yeah I think that's something which people often forget about it is the same thing I think you know that often happens with internet technologies is people think oh it's a technological problem, so if you just sort of fix the technology, if you just you know if you get someone to put up the transmitter, get the antenna going, uh plug everything in together, get the board, well you've got a station, and they forget that that a radio station a community radio station in particular is people, and it's people who are trained and know what to do and right there's whether it's making their proper filings with the FCC or making their proper tax filings with the IRS and dealing with whatever state government entities they might have to interact with as a a corporation in their state there's a lot there so it's great to hear that uh, you're there to help people uh, tackle all of these problems if someone wanted to get get in touch yep. with you. There may be
0: someone right that's now. It. That's who, not a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a bowl of nuts, but yes, that's an, a bowl of nuts and bolts. That's what I come with.
1: Well, that's uh, yeah, often there, there's, there's many nuts in community radio. So <laughs> I think we're probably fine with that. Um, so uh, if folks wanted to uh, get in touch with you and there might be someone right now who has a construction permit, um, who's maybe thinking about, uh, Oh geez, how am I going to do what I need to do? Um, how could they get in touch with you? How could they learn more maybe and find someone like you or someone you know who can, who might be able to provide that assistance?
0: Well, I, you know, there aren't very many people like me. That's the problem. Uh, there's very few. You can reach me at my email, which is news gmail.com, um, I started out producing seven and a half hours of news programming, and news programming, as you may know, is extremely difficult and fraught with all kinds of technicalities in terms of who you can cite and what you can say. Uh, and so I, boy, I just jumped right in with two feet and started with seven and a half hours a week. Um, so they can reach me. You can also reach out to the grassroots conference at the reach out at reachoutatwc.com. Just reach out wcaa at gmail dot com. They also, I mean, if you ask a question, someone's going to get an answer to you. It may very well be me. If there's somebody regionally that we know, I'll direct you to that person. Or we also have what's called the GRC List Serve, which is a an email that you can sign up for. And then you can communicate with all the other LPFMs nationwide. You can see what they're posting. If you need help with something, this is a place. Does anybody know how to do such and such? And this is where people and come back and say, I'm so-and-so from here, and this is what we did. And you may get an answer from somebody in Alaska. You might get an answer from somebody in Key West, but someone will give you their experience and their knowledge to help you deal with whatever problem it is that you have or whatever resource you're looking for. And those are two really good ways to reach me and to get help just nationwide.
1: Jennifer, do you have any final questions?
3: Um, what are you most excited about about this
0: year's conference? You know, I'm excited about the event itself. Uh, the things, the space is inspiring that they have. The WCAA has. It has a long history. It was an Italian community center. Before that, it was a church. The building is well over a hundred years old, and it's getting its third new life. It is in the heart of a neighborhood where you can walk to Indian food or southern fried chicken. Um, the capital is not far away. The state museum is just about six blocks up the street. It's just an area where everything is happening. The conference is all within a half, about a half a block, maybe a block walk, and you're going to be in historic buildings. One of the buildings is the Free School, which is over 100 years old. I believe they told me that it is the oldest existing Free School in the region, if not the city. Uh, you're going to be at um, Trinity, which is a community center resource, and uh, they've rehabbed an older building and given it new life. Um, WCAA itself Grant street. Arts, um, Community Arts, is, is giving this church a new life. It's just exciting to be at a location where so much energy, so much positive energy, is just all coming together at once. Uh, the people that are coming are going to be amazed at what they're doing. Uh, they're going to be inspired by what you can do, the possibilities in old buildings, and the possibilities in a community. So I'm just, I'm excited about just the entire experience that's about to unfold for everyone that's coming and everyone who gets to reap the benefit of the aftermath. It's, it's just an incredible thing to experience.
3: It sounds amazing. And, and, you know, with every passing day, I'm more regretful that I can't make it this year. So I, we will look forward to hearing all the details after the fact, but I'm, I'm very sorry to miss it.
0: Well, um, there's rumor there might be one in your area next year. We are trying to make sure that the conference bounces across the country because you're right. Not everybody can get to the Upper East Coast this year. Um, Hot Springs was wonderful that it was such a central location. We do try to be uh, paying attention to the regional differences and and realizing that we've got to move the conference around to give everybody a chance to get there at some point. Hold on to that thought and and wait and see what happens next year because it might be a lot closer to you at that point. That would be great. But I'm very, I feel very privileged that I asked Ben Musa and Al Davis to join them and I, my experience interacting with Musa Zana has just been incredible. He is he is brilliant in his own way and I just am excited about other people actually getting to meet this man in person and see what they've created here. It's um, inspiring, and it's its own unique thing. Every LPFM has its own story. And so this time we get to find out what WCAA's creation story is and, and revel and celebrate that.
1: Well, wonderful. We're talking about the Grassroots Radio Conference coming up October 6th through 9th in Albany, New York at the host station WCAA LP there in the Heart of Albany. Caitlin Redding is a LPFM startup specialist. She's helping organize this year's conference. Caitlin, thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me uh, speak to you. And I'm I'm hoping that as many people as possible can interact with us. And I will make a point of making sure that we have something to offer to the people who are not able to attend uh, geographically. Uh, and we will we'll look to see how we can develop the video content and make some of these sessions available, again, to people who aren't able to attend. Everybody is coming. I'm excited for you. And we're going to just put on the, the greatest conference we can possibly put on. And we look forward to doing this again in another location next year. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much, Keith. Thank you,
1: Caitlin. Thank you
0: guys very much for having us.
2: Well, I'm
1: sorry, I I can't make the Grassroots Radio Conference. There I think in Albany, we're all sorry
2: that we can't make the Grassroots Radio Conference. But all, thanks each, again, each to and Caitlin. every one of us would attend if. If the cards were aligned, if
1: I'm sure. if, I if know. all of the funding were there to ship us off to Albany, New York, so we could report back and share it. I mean, that's part of the uh, one of the things that I think the service we can do for community radio and, and community radio enthusiasts. Oh, yeah, is to no. begin to report back and, and share some of the the learnings and the I findings. I would definitely
2: prioritize that in my life if uh, if given pr- the privilege to do so. Uh,
1: yeah, but travel travel is a little difficult on. Uh, On the Radio Survivor budget as it exists, which uh, if you'd like to help us out with that in any sort of way, you can help support Radio Survivor. Uh, Go to our website, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support where you can learn the ways that you can contribute and help us continue to do what we do. But we would even appreciate helping us to do more. Uh, We'd love to do more, but, you know, it always requires time and money. And, uh, Hey, if you've got time to contribute, that would be great. Or, or if you have some of the latter, that's great too. go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. And, you know, are you going to the grassroots radio conference? Have you been to the grassroots radio conference? Uh, or do you have any thoughts about anything we've talked about here on the show? Please drop us a line. You can email us at podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And if you're listening to us as a podcast, if you're listening to us on your smartphone or your computer, We'd love it if you would subscribe. So in whatever app you use, you subscribe so you always get the show downloaded. Um, believe it or not, that helps us, not just because there's another download, but it, it tells whatever platform you're using, whether it's Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Spotify, pick, pick your favorite uh, platform. It tells them that there's more listeners and it makes it more likely they'll recommend it to somebody else. What even makes it more likely to recommend it is if you also click some stars or leave a review that says we've got engagement It tells them that uh, folks like the show and are listening and again makes it more likely to be recommended. It's a simple thing you can do to help us out.
2: Paul, in my enthusiasm to uh, co-sign uh, that we'd all like to go to the grassroots radio conference, I interrupted you as you were saying thank you to our guest. You are yes. saying thank you to Caitlin Redding. Who just joined us to talk about the Grassroots Radio Conference?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and at at the top of the show, I said that the uh, conference or in the Grassroots Radio Coalition, which is sort of the loose group behind the conference, has been around for 17 years, and I'm off by four years. You looked it up since you it's since been, you misspoke. Yeah. Yes, it's been around for twenty-one years. Came together in nineteen ninety-six, the first Grassroots Radio okay. Conference was at KGNU in Boulder, Colorado, co-presented by, with uh, WERU, which is a community radio station in Maine. And that so, was in 1996.
2: So isn't that perfect? Because what else happened in 1996? We have the telecommunications act.
1: Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, it, it's a lot of things that kind of came together. And it's also mm-hmm. at the point in which uh, there were many, many people going on the air unlicensed around the country because in 1996 this thing called low power FM did not exist and in fact the FCC would not give you a license to operate at low power the license category had ceased to exist uh some 17 18 years prior to then and so what it meant is that if you wanted to put a new radio station on the air, there were none of these windows. You would just sort of go to the FCC with a proposal, with a license application, but it would have to be for a relatively high power station. The bar was. Significantly was higher. higher. You yep. needed more
2: money. You needed to be, you needed to be a big deal. Exactly. To get on there.
1: Yeah. Lots of fundraising and often a lot of red tape and, and, and very often with lots of other broadcasters filing Uh, with the FCC, with all sorts of reasons why they shouldn't give you a a radio station and lots of counter filings.
2: So what you're saying is when the bar was set so high that people couldn't get on the air legally, they took to the airwaves anyway, and there was a a lot more pirates in the 90s.
1: Yeah, and it was called the Micropower Radio Movement, and they sort of eschewed the the pirate name Yeah, because their idea was, well, we're not stealing anything, right? We're using the people's airwaves, and there was a real – uh, attempt to do so in a way which would, uh, in which they would be good citizens of the dial, obey good technical uh, requirements, uh, not interfere, and in broadcast like community stations. And there were, and and, and a few still exist. There's uh, Freak Radio Santa Cruz in Santa Cruz, California, is one such station. But there was Brattleboro Free Radio in uh, Brattleboro, Vermont, where many of the people who were behind that. Unlicensed community station are now part of a licensed low power FM station. Yeah,
2: in, I'm sure in that story is repeated around the country that the same community that rallied around uh, the, an unlicensed station, the unlicensed stations, then coalesced around the ability to be a low power FM legit.
1: So there was all this going on behind the scenes. Um, and, and at the same time then, a uh, coalition of, of, of lots of folks, uh, some of whom you – know, whose names were, were uh, thrown out by, by Caitlin during our interviews, people like Petri Dish and the Prometheus Radio Project, uh, groups like Common Frequency, uh, the United Church of Christ, uh, amongst many other advocates got together to propose to the FCC, hey, let's create an actual service. Take the pressure off of this. People are asking for low-power community radio stations. So let's put together the ability for that to exist. If that's really what's happening that 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 many stations are going to air unlicensed simply because you won't license them, not really because there isn't a technical reason why, but more because there's a political reason why. Let's change the politics. And so at that same time that that the grassroots radio coalition was coming together and the grassroots radio conference started to happen, was all of this sort of motivation and organizing around Low Power FM, which was finally passed by the FCC and made a reality in the year 2000. And that's the year I first went to a grassroots radio conference in Madison, Wisconsin, hosted by uh, community radio station WORT. And it's where I met Christopher Maxwell. And he may not remember me, but as someone who Caitlin mentioned, uh, he is a person who helped co-found the community radio station currently in Richmond, Virginia, and is currently working with Caitlin and other folks to found a second LPFM community radio station in Richmond, Virginia. You see, it all comes full circle here.
2: We're a big family here in community radio, aren't we?
1: yes it is it is a big family but that's some of the background for all of this and and it really is this impulse that uh for truly community based democratic communication it helps that we help each other right and 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 that we don't just only kind of delegate it to some other body to do it for us, right? That we need to have a national association of broadcasters or something to do that. Now there is the national federation of community broadcasters, which has been doing tremendous work to help support low power FM and to help support its member stations. Um, And, and it, I think that these things are very complementary. as a result that, that you have sort of this mutual aid kind of thing. And we have an organization that that is centralized a little bit that has the ability to, to then advocate on behalf of community radio the NFCB is able to go to DC is able to lobby for the for the rights and interests of community radio able to work with groups like sound exchange uh, to make sure that music licensing royalties are fair to community radio stations of all sort it's great that we have these two arms there uh, you know we have both sort of the all of the arms together of of grassroots stations helping each other and then we have the NFCB there to help provide a little bit of that extra infrastructure and centralization when it's needed. It's it's a really wonderful thing that that, that's, that now happens in community radio because of forward-looking people who started acting in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. And, and Jennifer, you and I attended one grassroots radio conference together uh, back in 2012 when it was held in Urbana, Illinois, which is my old stomping grounds. I used to be a volunteer at uh, WEFT-FM in Champaign-Urbana, and it was also co-hosted by uh, WRFU, which is Radio Free Urbana, which is the uh, low power FM station in Urbana. I was around when that went on the air in the in the early two thousands, and when we were there in twenty twelve, it was before uh, this next wave of low power FM went on the air. But as I recall, there, right. were, there were there were low power FM stations uh, there, ones that had gone on the air in the uh, early two thousands,
3: and there were a lot of workshops, um, sort of anticipating the application window for the new low-power FM window. So I remember there were groups there who were planning to apply and nobody knew when the window was going to open. So it was this sort of moment where people felt like, all right, let's make sure that we're prepared so that when the window opens, we're ready to apply and we know all the steps that we need to take to eventually get on the air. So it it's super fascinating, actually, to have attended the grassroots radio conference at that moment and then to have attended last year and see what has transformed in that ensuing period. And it's really, really exciting, really energizing to me. It bears
2: repeating here on radio survivor. You may have heard us say it before, but it's the most radio that there's ever been.
1: Most community – yeah, the most radio period and the most community radio that there's ever been.
2: Because of low-power FM's re uh, – not re-emergence, but uh, re- emergence. reinvigoration. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because what had happened is that uh, the rules that were behind the first wave of LPFM in the early 2000s were altered by Congress. The National Association of Broadcasters and NPR sort of spread fear within uh, the Congress saying that these new low-power stations are going to cause interference, are, gonna, are going to cause chaos in the airways if we don't sort of clip their wings and pare back where you can put stations. So as a result… That's why you didn't see low-power FM stations in big markets like Chicago or Philadelphia, New York, L.A., San Francisco. So no low-power FM stations in the early 2000s because the Congress was convinced to add on a rider onto a budget. So it's just a little tiny addendum to a budget bill. Um, Was convinced to say, no, low-power FM stations have to behave like big stations when it comes to spacing. Mm. And that greatly limited how many stations could go on the air, and where, and where, and for many times in the in the decade after, uh, attempts were made to change this, to change it back to the original rules, the rules set by the FCC, the body responsible for making sure there's no interference on in airways, and and in, in, in the interim, actually there was an independent study required by the Congress, uh, by a uh, by an outside uh, company. Uh, to go and investigate will this cause interference? And they came back and said, "Nope, <laughs> it won't." And so, finally, uh, in 2012, uh, the local community radio act was passed, which restored low power FM to those original standards that were set back in 2000 and, and changed by the Congress. And that's again when and Jennifer and I were at the uh, grassroots uh, radio conference. People were talking about that um, because it, I think it's hard for folks who who kind of don't live and breathe this to understand that. Yeah, radio station licenses, I mean, they don't fall from the sky. Right. And, and and because the dials in most areas are getting pretty full, it's it's not like you just sort of show up to a window, pay your fee, get your paper stamped, and they give you a license.
2: You know, this This makes me think it's a conjecture on my part. But here we are, Radio Survivor. One of the things that we talk about all the time is that uh, radio is not dead. But it occurs to me that one of the reasons people might think that radio is on the decline Is because unlike the internet startup landscape, which seems vast and um, fertile, that there's always room for one more app on your phone, that there isn't room for a new radio station in your town. So how could radio possibly be growing?
1: Yeah, but when you think about that, you know, it's sort of like real estate in Manhattan. No one talks about real estate in Manhattan dying, even though there's not really any undeveloped land, right? Mm-hmm. It just changes hands or Churning, people yeah. find new ways of, of of putting a new store, a new hotel, a new apartment building in uh, where there previously was was something different. And I think in some ways radio is a little bit like that and even in a negative sort of way in which you have a lot of commercial stations changing hands and often turning into chain stores, turning into uh, gaps and in, huh. in Whole Foods instead of mom and pop so stores. So we've, we've
2: established a useful metaphor where <laughs> land Use <laughs> policy overlaps with uh, with media. That's it. You media look at the
1: radio dial, and each of the, each little space, each little number. I mean, that's a lease essentially, yeah. or it's a. And deep. yet,
2: sometimes the cities in our country do build new parks what
1: right. happens yeah right exactly there, sometimes there have there's the public space
2: libraries that have been uh, heavily invested in refurbished exactly so we can always get more radio
1: and and i think one reason to 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 take that into account is to recognize and really respect and prize and value the community radio stations that we have and that are going on in the air that they need to be kept because they are valuable and they are rare and they are hard to get and if uh, a, a low power fm station for some reason, goes away tomorrow, it may not come back. Right. And they can't give away their license. It's not like that just goes into some big pool and someone else can pick it back out. It may be gone forever. And that's a reason to value all of these stations. And, to, and, and if you're listening to a community radio station, you are lucky. You are very, very lucky if there's a community radio station in your town or your city or your neighborhood,
2: even if it's been there for years.
1: Do not take it for granted. Yeah. I think is a message that we really want to uh, that we really want to put out there. And this is this is true for for your public stations. This is true for college stations as well. Um They are. It is not easy to put them on the air. And the fact that there was this movement called low power FM that allowed many more community organizations and colleges and schools. Uh, and universities to put stations on the air it's a wonderful gift to uh to democratic communications to community media and it's going to take a lot of listeners and a lot of help to make sure it stays vital i think um jennifer so uh what did you learn uh, when you went to the graduate radio conference last year what, what was one of maybe some of the biggest takeaways
3: uh I'm gonna have an answer similar to Caitlin's, I guess. Like, I mean, it's really the overarching feeling I had at the end of it was just, you know, this feeling of excitement. Um, and and for me, it was interesting to see the host station. Um, and that's that's part of the reason why I'm sad to not be attending because it would be really interesting to see WCAA. Um, you know, so in Hot Springs, it was interesting to see this brand new station and meet some of the volunteers there. Your solar powered radio station. Yeah. Solar powered radio and learn about that. Um, you know, I, I could tell you pragmatic things, you know, there was an interesting session about um, how to deal with conflict at your station that I thought was useful for anybody who deals with people in any study <laughs> type so of it's, business it's not environment. Just
1: radio. It could be useful yeah. to just about anybody who, has to do with other people, huh?
3: Well, I mean, one
2: of the strengths of these organizations and why we love them is because they're open and because the bare the barriers to entry, um, can almost be, uh, non-existent. You can let people in. And so when you let lots of people in, you deal with, a a more, you know, there, you can't just fire a volunteer the way you can at Starbucks, fire your employee. So it's a strength. And then it's a, it's something that needs to be, uh,
3: it's, yeah, it's, It's a challenge for all of us because, you know, there are a lot of things you want to accomplish um, in your volunteer projects. Um, And, you know, you have to be kind to people who are who are offering up their time to do things to help out. But you can also be frustrated when things aren't getting done. So it's a fine line. And and so sessions like that were were interesting to me and and making connections. Meeting up with people from radio stations from all over the country was incredibly valuable. Oh, and I mean, and one of my favorite things was that I had to- told a local college radio station about the conference, and they sent a crew of people, and they had a great time, learned a lot about it, uh, blogged about it, and and there weren't very many college radio stations in attendance, but they were from arkansas so i think it was great for them to connect with other people doing radio in arkansas and and i'm hoping that that will happen again this year i i was just talking to somebody from a college radio station in new york who was who was looking for a conference to attend and and this would actually be maybe an hour away so i was encouraging him to to check out the grassroots radio conference you know what, I want
2: to take this opportunity right now to drop in a clip from an episode of last year's Radio Survivor podcast, where episode number 68, Jennifer, you were reporting back from the 2016 grassroots radio conference. And I think, I think it might benefit the listeners to hear, hear just three minutes from that episode.
3: Some of the best learning actually comes from the casual interactions and getting to meet people um, at a conference. and And that was definitely the case. And I heard that In chatting with people that, um, and I think it might be in one of the interviews that that we may play on the podcast too, that that somebody mentioned that they learned a whole bunch of things from the conference, but they also learned who to reach out to if they have a question about such Mm -hmm. and such. So Jennifer found a relatively quiet room at KUHS,
2: the solar-powered LPFM that hosted the GRC, and we're going to hear from two attendees that she interviewed, both from KPSQLP in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Julia Rose and Program Manager Keith Richards.
3: How about you? Is this your first time seeing another station?
0: Well, yes, and I'm impressed with the level of... um sophistication here and just the technical aspects. This is a brand new world for me and a grassroots radio conference has been a giant uh, jump start in my
3: learning process. here. So, What are some of the things that you guys have picked up? I know that's a huge question, but do you have a favorite moment from the conference that's sticking with you or something that you want to follow up on later? Well, for me, the
0: personal stories, meeting people from different parts of the country. And at this particular event, they're from everywhere. They're yeah. from all over. So just learning about different stations and the way they go about programming and to throw new ideas in for, um, throw new ideas that might happen for our station, So,
1: And for me, it's uh, picking up things that I'm needing to know now as music, as program manager. Uh, music licensing, and um, um, just some of the tech stuff I need to know. Um, and it's not that I've learned it all here, but now I know the people to go to to ask the questions. Um, yeah. And I know, and there's some people with an amazing depth of knowledge that are really into it and
0: really willing to share. That's wonderful.
3: You know, so some of that networking is just knowing who to ask, which... Is great, you know, and that was happening throughout the entire conference. Just you know, figuring out who was knowledgeable, and the people at um, the host station KUHS LP, uh, they were saying, "Yeah, this is great to host this conference because we have all of these experts in their field coming through our station and giving us advice about things." <laughs>
1: That's right. It's, so it's like actually the world's a really greatest, greatest strat- consult.
3: <laughs> I know it's the. <laughs> actually a really good strategy for a new station. Yeah, I never thought of
1: it that way. That's uh, that's pretty smart. Maybe that'll help. uh, It'll it'll have people clamoring to host next year.
2: So that was a clip from episode number 68 of Radio Survivor from last year when Jennifer was reporting back from the Grassroots Radio Conference, which of course we're uh, talking about it because uh, the 2017 Grassroots Radio Conference is coming right up.
3: You know, often things like this aren't on everybody's radar. So I think that's part of the reason why we were glad to be doing an episode about the grassroots radio conference. So, you know, that people who are in the area can make last minute plans if they want to attend.
1: Absolutely. And people can learn more uh, by going to our website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. And you can find show notes for this episode and for every single episode.
2: And I want to let listeners know, not only do we have a bunch of great archives up, but next week, I'm really excited about our uh, our interview on College Radio Day. College Radio Day is coming up, and people uh, can learn more about it when, when that episode airs. Uh, number 111.
3: So I thought to myself, what if there was something that we
2: could do or could be done that would unite college radio stations. And I went to
1: bed and woke up the next morning with College Radio Day. And uh, I thought to myself, well, surely that's obviously been done. Um, someone's done that. And I did do a Google search. And I saw a few stations had collaborated. And but certainly, I don't think on a national level had, had they done that. And the whole idea was to unite together and to promote what we're doing, to sort of say to people, hey, listen, tune into College Radio on this day. You might not normally... Uh, listen to college radio but on this day give it a shot you might like what you hear and stay listening and in addition to that hey um college radio by the way does exist um rumors of our death have been greatly exaggerated
2: we interviewed um rob
1: quick from wpsc at william patterson university and so if
2: you're listening to this episode uh in the relative past you can check that one out it's already dropped
1: uh, that's the wonderful <laughs> thing about about making a radio show that is also a podcast, is that um, if you miss one, you can go and catch up on your own time. Yeah, On time your own shifting. time. But we hope you're listening to us however you can. Please tell a friend. Tell someone you think might enjoy uh, learning more about this great world of radio out there. And, of course, if you have any comments about anything you've heard about on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line. Podcast at Survivor. Thank you, Jennifer, for joining us and and arranging this interview with Caitlin.
3: Yeah, always a pleasure.
1: And thank you, Eric. And thank you to everyone, including you, who've tuned in and spent another hour with us. We really appreciate your time. Have a good week, everybody.